Hello, this is Brent. It is September 23rd, and the Redskins just defeated the Packers at home in Week 3 to improve their record to 2-1. and one. And for reasons I have not yet even entirely worked out myself, Burgundy Blogcast is back. Burgundy Blog became a thing in May 2010, over eight years ago. That thing was indeed actually a blog. In fact, it was on Tumblr. And I, your host, Brent, the sole proprietor of Burgundy Blog, believe it or not, actually used that blog to write and publish old-fashioned blog posts in written English, sometimes in multiple paragraphs, regarding my favorite football team, the Washington Redskins. The Redskins definitely sucked at that time and had been sucking for almost two decades. Jim Zorn was on the way out and Mike Shanahan was on the way in. And I was a long-time, almost lifelong fan who was certainly tired of losing, but also still somewhat optimistic and definitely able to enjoy the Redskins for whatever they were. I was 30 years old with a very busy job, and in fact, I was already a husband and a father. But inexplicably, I actually liked enjoyed, appreciated, embraced the Redskins enough, almost inherently or innately, to start devoting big chunks of my scarce free time to reading about them, watching them, learning about them, and then writing about them because it was intellectually stimulating. The traditional blog soon pretty much gave way to a Twitter account, which as we all know by now is vastly superior in its convenience but more contemptible for its imperviousness to nuance. And anyway, through all of these eight subsequent years of mostly sucking, the Burgundy Blog Twitter account survived and in fact grew into a devastating time suck for myself and thousands of followers. I think Burgundy Blog has flourished even as the Redskins have rotted from the inside out, primarily because I have enjoyed the collective experience with other victim fans and because I truly do enjoy consuming the wonderful sport of football by endeavoring to intimately understand a single team over an extended period. At Burgundy Blog even gave birth to this very blogcast, on which I have, of course, enjoyed conversing about the skins and often mocking the skins with my good friends Hayes, Colin, and Mike the Haunch Honcho. But I think today it should be made very clear if it does not already go without saying that Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast have not made it this far due to my ever-growing love for the Washington Redskins. Because in point of fact, it's possible that I actually hate them. I have blogged and tweeted and published and recorded through John Beck and Mike Shanahan and Robert Griffin and Scott McLuhan and Kirk Cousins and now Jay Gruden. And I have come to view this organization as one With few players I admire, few coaches I esteem, few executives I respect, and an owner who I detest. And it is only you, the listener, and you, the follower, and you, the fan, and you, the friend, who keeps this inane, ineffectual, amateur project alive in any capacity. Not the godforsaken Washington Redskins. I do not love them or even particularly like them. I'm just stuck with them, and that is why you became stuck with me. So about six weeks ago, when Darius Geis, 
By far the most compelling and one of the only compelling stories about the 2018 Redskins blew out his knee on a meaningless carry in an exhibition game, his very first exhibition game before his career had even begun. I suppose you could say it all finally became just a little too much for me. And finally, this string of disappointments, this particular one unforeseeable and unpreventable and perhaps undeserved as it may have been, finally did come to outweigh, at least in my thinking at the time, the dwindling intangible benefits, and trust me, they are very intangible, of continued subjection and self-infliction. So I just stopped. I stopped tweeting and DMing and texting and recording. Of course, I did not stop reading or watching because I'm pathetic and addicted. But I stopped digging and I stopped producing because I just needed some air. I needed some space. I needed a break. I think I needed some time and perspective to reconsider the purpose of Burgundy Blog, to remember my motivation for Burgundy Blog, if it even still existed. Now, a month and a half may not seem like a long time for a social media sabbatical to many of you, but I had been producing 20 to 40 episodes a year of this podcast for three full seasons, and I have sadly tweeted over 62,000 times, which I think works out to a, an alarming average of 8 to 10 tweets per day for almost a decade. So, you know, six weeks wasn't nothing as a window of self-discovery. And there were many times over that period, in fact, as recently as last week, when in trying even to be as honest as possible with myself, I truly wondered whether Burgundy Blog might not be better off just falling on its sword. The impressive week one win over the Cardinals honestly didn't really touch me. The pathetic week two loss to the Colts also didn't particularly faze me. But then today something happened, or I guess a couple of things happened, that stirred me from my slumber. And so while I am still very much laden with hesitation and misgiving, and while I absolutely refuse right now to make even the weakest or vaguest commitment to the duration of this season, I present to you now, at least once more for old time's sake, a few of my own useless thoughts on today's football contest. The Redskins built up, of course, a two-touchdown lead on the back of some hard running by Adrian Peterson and some really good decision-making by Alex Smith. And, of course, finally, praise the Lord, a successful deep pass, big play off of play action, in fact, in the touchdown to Paul Richardson. It was very, very nice to see Jordan Reed making some key plays in there with his vice-like, hyper-masculine bare hands. But what sucked me back into the Redskins today was this sequence beginning with an interception thrown by Alex Smith in the general direction of arguably his top playmaker in Reed, which pretty clearly happened because Jordan Reed gave up on the route, which you hate to see and usually you don't see from Jay Reed. And it seemed like maybe he felt like he had been interfered with, but of course that's no excuse for dying on it. And so he left his QB out to dry and he cost him his first turnover of the season. Now the skins at this time were still up by 11 points, but this of course felt like a really key momentum shift, at least potentially, and I admit to being very interested in seeing how the team would respond. Well, how Alex immediately responded was by getting super pissed off, and I really liked it. The camera showed him stomping up and down the sideline, screaming expletives, almost throwing his helmet, not in a tantrum, but in a very public display of dissatisfaction. And yeah, I really did like it. 
we know everyone on that sideline already respects his vast experience and acknowledges his importance. But this was the first I'd seen of him showing real passion, real obvious overt enthusiasm for excellence. And so Aaron Rodgers got the ball near midfield, and the Redskins defense trotted out there and proceeded to hold him to 12 yards net in six plays. And that series included yet another sack by Ioannidis, who's a rising star, and a combined tackle for loss by Zach Brown and Mason Foster on Ty Montgomery. I thought that stand right there near the 50-yard line was a really nice momentum-preserving statement by the Redskins and by the team as a whole. I thought it said something encouraging about the team's character. So Green Bay punts, and it's a really nice one, and they down it essentially at the goal line, I think at the two. So now I'm further intrigued to see how will Alex Smith and company not only respond to their own glaring mistake in that interception from the previous possession, but also how are they going to repay their defense who just bailed them the hell out? And they went 98 yards for a touchdown. And that was legit, for real, for real. That drive included a deep pass over the middle of the field to Reed, a long run by Peterson, several defensive penalties by the Packers, which certainly helped. But then finally, a really sweet nine-yard laser beam touchdown pass from Alex to Jameson Crowder to put them up 21-3. to And yeah, that was, that was the smelling salts for me. That was just really nice. That was good football. That's what we come here to watch. Jordan Reed made a big mistake, but his defense totally bailed him out against one of the best quarterbacks of all time at capitalizing on mistakes like that. And then when the offense got back out on the field and had a chance for redemption, pinned back at their own goal line, they stood the hell up and went the length of the field, and Jordan Reed contributed in a big way, and several players contributed in key ways, including Alex Smith, not only with his passing, but with a really nice seven-yard run. And they extended their lead to three scores. Redskins are not in the habit of enjoying three-score leads, in case you've forgotten. So yeah, I got a little bit into it. And I tweeted. It was tweet-worthy. I tweeted merely a single emoji. But indeed, I broke the Twitter fast. Because that was good football. It felt good. So what then happened right after that? Well, naturally, Green Bay immediately went 76 yards and four plays for a touchdown a bomb touchdown from A-Rod to cut the lead back to 11. At which time I began thinking, and you, the viewer at home, definitely began thinking, don't tell me otherwise, that here we go, same old Redskins, here it comes. They're going to figure out a way to squander their good fortune and waste their own overachievement. And this will be the beginning of the end of the game and the season and Gruden's career and my Sunday ticket subscription and my sanity. But, but, they did it again. Alex and friends tickled my heartstrings again right then. They got the ball back with less than two minutes to go in the half. On the second play, Alex hit old friend Vernon Davis streaking down the right sideline for a whopping 50-yard gain. Then Crowder caught a nice pass for 18 more yards. And then a couple plays later, AP slash AD banged it in for his second teeter of the day. And that left... Only 20 seconds left in the half, and the Redskins, of course, went into the locker room with a 28-10 lead, a commanding 18-point lead. And so that was the sequence right there, those last eight minutes of the second quarter today that warmed my loins up just enough to induce this episode. And that little segment right there was clearly a total team effort, but clearly the most important part of it was one Alex Smith 
But it made me remember, especially his one key short but important rushing attempt in there. The phrase Andy Reid has often used to describe Alex Smith and only a very small handful of his other favorite players in Philly and Kansas City. Reid has referred to a few of those players, including Alex Smith, as dirty tough, implying, I think, that if they can't always win pretty, they will at least win ugly. And, of course, that they will stand up to adversity. And I thought that's really what he did there in responding immediately to first the interception and then second to the quick strike touchdown by Aaron Rodgers. And really, I thought that quick sequence was enough in and of itself, provided, of course, that they would ultimately be able to hang on uh, to, to make this game not only a win and a success, but something of a declaration of intent. Neither team uh, in none of the Redskins units really did a lot in the second half, but they did enough. Offense, defense, and special teams did just enough, including um, Hopkins with a nice 35-yard field goal. I think that was very important with two minutes to go to essentially ice it. And in that sense, of course, this game was much like the Redskins' win in Week 1, where they got out to a huge lead in the first half against Arizona and then just sort of salted it away for the second half. I guess going through some important overall individual performances, of course, Alex Smith was awesome. He only threw 20 passes, but he really took advantage of that Green Bay secondary on several deep balls, uh, really took advantage of play action. And no doubt he did today exactly what Jay Gruden was hoping he would be getting out of Alex Smith when they traded for him. Adrian Peterson averaged 6.3 yards per carry and scored twice. So he's had two really good games now and one really bad game. And perhaps that's what his season, or at least the first half of his season, will look like as he kind of gets used to a a pretty different running scheme than, uh, than what he's used to over his career. Namely, more zone runs and definitely more gun runs, even if there aren't a lot of them. I guess maybe I should say something more about Peterson since he actually wasn't even on the team the last time I did a podcast. And of course, he is the replacement for the guy whose injury made me have a midlife crisis. And I guess in recap, if I had rendezvoused here with you after the Redskins signed him, I'm pretty sure I would have said something along the lines of, no, I don't expect a big season out of him or even a particularly good season. But yeah, in fact, hell yeah, he's definitely, even right now at age 33 or whatever, the best running back on this team, and he will be the week one starter. It was very, very obvious to me when they signed him that uh, he was never going to play second fiddle to a Rob Kelly or a Samaje Pirine. Now, since then, in his one preseason game and in his three regular season games, he's definitely been better than I thought he would be overall. And with him getting 19 more carries today, I'd say Jay is definitely doing what I would do with him, which is use the ever-loving bleep out of him, run him into the ground. I think the idea that maybe you need to sort of preserve him or protect him or save him up so that he's still got juice in December, I'm not into that at all. I think if he's got it, he's got it. Now, of course, Rob Kelly has since gone on IR, but Gruden knows this. He gave Chris Thompson six carries But after that, Bibbs only had two. Crowder had one. Alex Smith actually ran the ball seven times. Gruden knows that handing the ball off to anybody else, aside from occasionally Chris Thompson, when the timing is right, it's just a bad idea. I think you give Adrian Peterson, future first ballot Hall of Famer, the rock early and often and a lot until it stops working or until he is actually hurt to the point that he can't play. And the reason, honestly, is because I just think age 
does not apply to him in the way that it applies to most people. In fact, I think you can say that about Vernon Davis too. But there are just some individuals, some athletes who are genetically flawless and who also just absolutely grind like MFers to keep their bodies in perfect tip-top shape. And that applies to both of those guys. They've got bodies like Greek gods and they're workout warriors and just tireless workers. So I don't care how old Adrian Peterson is. As long as he's running well, I'm running him hard. And also conveniently, I have no concern at all about saving him for future seasons because Darius Geis will be back next year. Uh, I thought the offensive line handled their position switches well with Rulier moving over to left guard and Bergstrom playing center. They both acquitted themselves nicely. Um, problem spot, though, uh, right tackle where Morgan Moses went out early with a concussion because Ty Nsecki was not good. He got penalized over and over, and he was getting routinely blown up in pass pro. We have definitely seen this before. Nsecki, whose reputation among Redskins fans I think a little bit exceeds his actual capability, um, he is a, a really good backup left tackle behind Trent Williams, but he's not really a great backup right tackle, and he's clearly not a guard because the Redskins seem pretty much afraid to use him there. So hopefully with the Redskins having a bye now and not having to play for two weeks, uh, Morgan Moses will be back in action because I think they can ill afford to lose him. I mean, Moses wasn't really having a stellar season so far anyway, but Inseki did not look sharp there today. That That is potentially a problem going forward, especially against a team as good as the Saints. And unfortunately, as we know, these concussions... That's tricky business, and those absences can be extended. So hopefully Morgan Moses is all right. I mentioned that both Reed and Vernon Davis had really big plays. So good to see Vernon Reed healthy and uh, just dominating. He's still not getting quite the volume I think probably the Redskins would like to get. But man, did he make some very dynamic, tough catches with those bare hands in the rain today. That was fun to watch. Richardson did his thing early on. That's what they paid him the $40 million for. I've otherwise not been super impressed with him so far this season. He's dealing with a number of injuries already, which I think is not just bad luck. It's extremely predictable because he's built like Paris Hilton. But props to him for getting open and tracking that deep ball beautifully and scoring. I guess getting one play like that every three games, you know, I don't know if it completely justifies his salary. But, I mean, yeah, that is that is why they signed him. Um, Josh Doxson is not going to get shined from me today. Or possibly ever again. And this pains me a little bit because um, I went pretty hard to the rim for him last year, saying that everyone needed to be more patient and that he was due for a breakout. But he's not breaking out at all, and I just don't think it's coming. He's three games into this uh, you know, make-or-break season for him. He plays a lot. He's on the field for nearly every passing play. He does not draw many targets, and he is not productive with the ones he gets. Now, he did draw a couple of pass interference calls today. I think two. I know at least one. And sure, that's useful, but, uh, you know, he was drafted in the middle of the first round. And I am now forced to concede the obvious, which is that he's not coming anywhere close to the sort of production or even being the the, the sort of scheme-altering, scheme-dictating threat that someone with his raw physical abilities should be. He's just not a difference maker at all. He is jag, just a guy. And that's, you know, sad. I thought I thought this was his time, but um, the Redskins made a statement, I think, about him when they went out and signed both Michael Floyd and Brashad Perriman at the same time, two guys who don't play special teams. Um, of course, Perriman has already since been cut. He was only a Redskin for a few days. But that move pretty clearly said to me that the Redskins are still looking for people who can catch passes in the offense on the perimeter. 
And I'm sorry to see that Dachshund is still not doing it with any kind of regularity, and I'm fast losing hope that that is going to become the case anytime soon or while he's still in burgundy and gold. Moving over to the defense, it was so awesome to see John Allen just having his way today, just just blossoming, continuing to blossom into the brute force we knew he'd become when the Skins drafted him after his little draft day mini slide. He had two sacks, three QB hits, five total tackles. He was beast mode, and he will soon be household. I love him. Ioannidis now has a sack in every game. Uh, he should no longer be overlooked when mentioning the studs, the, re- the young studs, for that matter, that the Redskins have along the defensive line. They have three of them. In Payne, who's still kind of getting his feet wet. In Allen, who erupted today. And uh, in Ioannidis, who just will not be denied. If you ask me to choose the one thing that is most exciting about the Redskins right now, one thing that is most likely to stave off my next temporary or permanent retirement from Burgundy Blog, it is this young defensive line. They had a little bit of a setback, a little stumble last week against the Colts, but um, they, they, they're for real. It's, it's awesome. They're young and good, and it's going to be fun to watch them. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan still has essentially no statistics this year, but he got held 17 times today, so his impact was definitely felt. I'll give him a pass for that reason on still not having any sacks because he did draw some key flags. And then uh, DJ Swearinger is a guy who I probably haven't been quite as high on as many Redskins fans over the last you know year and a half. Um, I think he's perhaps a little bit overrated because of his personality and his dreadlocks and the idolizing Sean Taylor thing and because the Redskins haven't had a good safety in forever. Um, I think he's been kind of okay. But this year, yeah, he is he's really owning it. Uh, he's, I think, taking the most accountability of anybody on that defense, and he's making plays. He almost had another really nice pick. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the Redskins did give up that bomb touchdown to Geronimo Allison. But for the most part, they have had far fewer um, egregious deep field defensive breakdowns than we're used to seeing. And I think a lot of that is, is DJ Swearinger's doing. So uh, good on him. Fabian Moreau was um, the other standout today in the defensive backfield. And that is nice. That's a nice little coming out party for a guy who we've been waiting on. And if he's starting to take big strides like Kendall Fuller did in his second year, that would be massive for the Redskins, and it sure looks like that uh, that's where he's headed. So good for him, too. Dunbar didn't really stand out as much today, but, uh, of course, he had that massive game in Week 1, which I boycotted. But if I had done a broadcast after Week 1 of the season, I would have gone on and on about Quentin Dunbar for 10 minutes. He was silly in that game. And, uh, and yeah, the, the Skins have signed him, of course, for a bargain, too, if he develops into even an average or, or slightly above average starting corner. So even with Norman just continuing to do his, his solid but unspectacular thing of never picking off passes, but, you know, mostly shutting down his side of the field, um, it's nice now that the Redskins can count to some degree on Swearinger and uh, Dunbar, and, and if Moreau is not developing too, that's sweet. I think we're still waiting for Monte Nicholson to be that impact guy that, that uh, Jay Gruden was talking up over the summer, and then we've all been hoping he would turn into, but he's still got time. It's just his second year. Um, not really flashing too much for me so far as a second-year guy. Aaron Rodgers did some absolutely awesome things today. Um, He was his usual wizard self on several plays. This guy is unbelievable in his ability to throw an absolute blow dart 
without even slightly mobilizing any joints on the left side or lower half of his body. Just legendary, freakish, scary arm talent. But his pass catchers did not do him any favors today. Rendell Cobb had some uncharacteristic, really brutal, self-defeating drops. Uh, Kendricks had that horrible, brutal drop way down the field. And then, let's face it, he was hobbled. Uh, The knee was bothering him quite a lot. And you do wonder, what would this game have looked like if he had been his full self, you know, his his 100% healthy A-plus self? But, you know, it's football, and a lot of times your opponent is not his, his whole complete unencumbered self. So, you know, I don't think it's the Redskins' fault for catching him probably at a good time where he was a little bit limited. Uh, clearly, he was not as big a threat to scramble as he usually is or to extend plays, although he did that a couple times. The Redskins definitely benefited from his injury. I- I'm absolutely not going to say, I mean, because they did play so well overall on both sides of the ball that they won because Rodgers was injured. That's not the case at all. Rodgers still today was a better quarterback than than they'll probably face in 8, 10, maybe 12 games this year. But yeah, the Redskins deserve credit for capitalizing on uh, on a rare time when he was at least in one way vulnerable. Jay Gruden continues to just Jay Gruden himself right through this job. Let me clarify what it means to Jay Gruden. That means that you do something good and then you immediately do something bad and then you do something good and then you do something bad and then you do good, bad, good, bad, good, bad forever until you die. I thought he deserved a lot of credit after week one. They came out and really put it to the Cardinals, despite having not a lot of tape on them, you know, under their new coach. Well, none, because he's new. Then, sadly and disturbingly, he got absolutely, like, wildly outcoached by Frank Reich when the Colts came to town. And he and all the staff and all the players admitted after the game that they were totally unprepared for what the Colts had brought in terms of offensive and defensive line play. They were just dumbfounded and befuddled and they had no chance. So I thought he, you know, Gruden's effort in week two was totally pathetic. But, you know, he did what he does. He came back here in week three and, uh, you know, his, his squad took it straight to a team that, you know, most people think is better or thought at, you know, coming into the game was better. Certainly a team with Super Bowl aspirations coming into the season. And he figured out how, even with Moses out and Inseki posing no resistance at right tackle, uh, you know, what to do. He figured out how, how to, you know, he solved that Packers defense. They were playing, you know, far too much man coverage, which, which Gruden uh, took advantage of. So good for him. And now I think it's fairly predictable that he will utterly lay an egg when the Redskins resume play in two weeks. <laughs> Bringing this ship back all the way around now to Doc. I do not know what to tell you listeners to expect out of me for the rest of the year. In one sense, I'd like to be able to tell you that I will be all over this mic with hot up-to-the-minute news and twice-weekly podcasts for the duration. But in another very real sense, I am certain that they could completely lose me again any minute now. This thing has become highly tenuous. So in the spirit of transparency and full disclosure, I have no idea if there will ever be another Burgundy Blogcast episode after this one. But if you really want to know if and when there is, then... As usual, for no good reason other than vanity and self-promotion, I should probably mention that you can subscribe to Burgundy Blogcasts on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes 
and on Overcast and Stitcher and all of the other apps and things. And of course, you can still follow me on Twitter at Burgundy Blog. Perhaps I will get back into tweeting actual English words, but maybe not. <laughs>